Can you believe that we have one more Sunday to Christmas? Isn't that mental? Whew, okay. I have really, really enjoyed doing the Advent series this year. Um, it has just been, it's just been, it's been such a journey for me myself, just in journeying up towards Christmas, um, reading through the scriptures around Jesus' birth, um, and just the building and sense of anticipation and expectation that has grown within me has, has been really great. Yesterday, while I was here um, helping with uh, the big move, my a contribution to the big move was the biggest thing, the heaviest thing I lifted yesterday was probably a packet of baps, was making the bacon and sausage rolls or whatever. So that was great. I was really glad that I didn't wreck my back like I have other Christmases doing the big move stuff. So thank you to all the men, the strong men and other women who came and did all the heavy lifting yesterday. But while I was here, I was chatting to Anna. Anna Cummings was here and her and I were having a wee chat in the, the press. Oh, Anna is four, isn't she? Four, five, four, four. Jack with Granny there, what age she is? She's four. So her and I were having a wee chat, and um, I said, Anna, I need to go home now today and finish my talk for tomorrow. I said, so I'm talking to the big people tomorrow. So I said, what do you think I should say to them? What do you think I should say? And she looked at me, and she thought for a wee minute, and uh, I, I said, what, what's it important? What's important for the big people to know? And she goes, Jesus died on the cross. I thought, great. That's a good one to start with. Okay, Jesus died on the cross. Then we sat in another wee second. I said, anything else? Anything else you think people need to know? We have to love everybody. We need to love everybody. I said, that's, that's fantastic. That's a great one. And I'm at this stage, I'm thinking, I really should be taking notes here from Anna. <clears throat> and I said, so one more thing. If you have one more thing to say, what would it be? And she says, well, if people don't have houses and food and things, then we need to give them some of ours. And at this stage, I was nearly crying. I was like sitting choked up. And I was like, you know what? You're so right. And then she started telling me about how she'd cleared out some of her books. And she'd given them away, some of her books away to somebody who didn't have any books. And then she goes, but I didn't give them all away. And I was like, oh. I thought we were going to have to canonize her as a saint up until that moment at this stage. We're going to have our own, very own Saint Anna of the Vineyard. Um, but do you know what I love about that? I love that already... Are we children in that back room that we've been hearing singing really loudly the past couple of weeks, which is lovely. We're already hearing the song before they, they perform it next week for us. Um, but I love that they're already catching not just a glimpse of who God is, but they already know who he is, don't they? Like, those are the best three answers ever. I mean, if I asked all of you, I wouldn't expect to get better answers than that there. And in a brief moment, a synopsis of the gospel of Jesus and those three things, that Jesus died for us, that we should love everybody because he loved us, and that we should share our stuff with those in need. Wow. So I think we could go home now. What do you think? And that'll do. So this morning, I want to talk about the arrival of Jesus. And there was nothing normal about the arrival of Jesus to earth, even though the Messiah was long awaited for, prophesied for, and prayed for. When he did come, even though the prophecies all lined up, the how of his coming was not at all expected. He was not the warrior Messiah that they were longing for and hoping for. A wee bit of Roman history for you. At the very beginning of Luke, it begins by introducing us to um, Augustus Caesar in Rome. And he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. He became sole ruler of the Roman Empire um, after a bloody civil war around about 31 BC. So 31, before Jesus, 31 years before Jesus was born. 
And Augustus, he turned the, the great Roman Republic into an empire with himself at the head. And he proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the whole world and declared himself basically the son of God because he said that his dead father was divine, so he became the son of God. Poets wrote songs about him. Historians rewrote history around him. And people said Augustus was the savior of the world. He was its king, its lord. And so at the time of Jesus' birth, people in the east worshipped him as a god. Does the description sound familiar? Meanwhile, in that same eastern area, a boy was born who within a generation would be hailed as the real son of God, whose followers would speak of him as saviour and lord, whose arrival they thought had brought true justice and peace to the entire world. Jesus never stood before a Roman Empire, but he would stand before his representative, Pontius Pilate. The birth of this little boy is the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God, even as it appears in Jesus' birth as weak and significant and vulnerable in the birth of this tiny baby, and the kingdom of this world that looked all-powerful. Augustus never heard of Jesus of Nazareth, but within a century or so after Jesus' birth, his successors in Rome had not only heard of him, but they were trying to wipe out all his followers. Within three centuries, the empire himself became a Christian. When you see Jesus in the manger, on a card, or in a church, or in a school play, remember what it's pointing to. It's pointing to this explosive truth that the baby lying there, the baby Jesus, is already being spoken of, of the true king of the world. He is the true king of the world. And even right at the moment, at his most vulnerable as a newborn baby, he is um, in conflict straight away with this empire and this rule of tyranny in the Roman world. There's such a clash of expectations around who and what Jesus should be, isn't there? Have you noticed that? even in our world today, but especially in the world that Jesus came into in his time in ministry. Everywhere he went, he announced and introduced a kingdom so different to the one they'd been expecting. Instead of exacting revenge against this cruel Roman regime, he taught them to turn the other cheek, to stop the cycle of revenge. So how could a pacifist liberate Israel from the current oppressive Roman regime? Jesus just didn't make sense to so many people. In Bethlehem, where it all started, where Jesus was born, there is a war that still continues. We have Islam on one side, we have Judaism on the other side, and in the middle somewhere there's a small group of Christians hemmed in. And maybe that is what it was like on the first Christmas morning for Mary and Joseph. The Romans in occupation, the Jewish establishment fighting for its rights and a small baby seemingly with no idea of what is going on around him being born into a violent and seemingly hopeless world. Yet it is the arrival of this baby that we find ourselves celebrating at Christmas. Turn with me to Matthew 1 and we're going to read verses 18 to 23. Very familiar scriptures at this time of year.
Anyone need a Bible? Anyone need one? Hands up. No? Are we okay? Grant. Verse 18 says this. This is the birth of Jesus, the, the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins, from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Probably one of the most important facts about the Christmas story is that Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. God was coming to the earth. Now, many people find it hard to accept this idea of a virgin birth because really when you dig down deep into it, this is, they cannot comprehend that God, the God of the whole universe, would come to earth. Why would he want to? Why would God want to come to earth? And the answer is here in these verses, to save his people from their sins. Or let me put it this way. God would come to earth because he wants to help us overcome the things in life that pull us to pieces. He would want to come and save us and rescue us from our own selfishness. And God would want to come to help us answer the questions of life. All the people that should have recognized the birth of Jesus missed it. So many of them missed it. The religious leaders, the noblemen, even Herod, the ones that had enjoyed it were the ones that weren't even looking for the Messiah. It was normal, everyday people like you and I, just everyday, ordinary people, that the birth of Jesus was announced to. Do you remember the shepherds we talked about last week? The most unexpected people to be invited into the story of Jesus. And yet we are invited into the story. You know, if... Um, if there was a paper, if Jesus was to be born today, I was thinking about this the other day, if Jesus was to be born today, the newspaper that it's most likely to be advertised in, if it was to be similar as it was in the day of Jesus being born, would be the Sun, not the Guardian. Because it was the everyday, ordinary people that the announcements were made. So God had come to be with us. But why? And what is the effect? Well, we are all used to hearing bad news, aren't we? The internet is full of it. If you ever turn on, I mean, it's just, some days I try not to read the news, especially at the minute. Who's overdone with Brexit? It doesn't matter what side we were on. I don't even remember hardly what I voted some days because I don't even know. We're just so over it, aren't we? And you turn on the news and it's just bad news after bad news after bad news. We hear about the increase in mental health problems, especially among our young people and children. Knife crime is on the rise. On Thursday in Dungannon, there was a man arrested with a knife. My goodness. I mean, I, I, I was thinking I was just reading about knife crime in London, in inner city London, but here we go. 
um, it's, it's right here in our doorstep as well. The paramilitaries are still controlling areas and bullying people and people are being intimidated where they live. Endless stories of fear around Brexit. None of us know if we can trust any of our leaders anymore and our politicians or our world leaders. We're, we just don't know because everyone has an opinion and everybody's opinion seems to contradict each other. Do you ever try to get to the truth these days? Seriously? You begin to read something and then all of a sudden you're thinking, is this true or do I need to read another source? And then you read another source and that source contradicts that source and then, then that leads you to a different source of information and it contradicts all of them and you're left going, I don't know. My answer in those days is I just think, Jesus, I am so glad I know you because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we listen to the news sometimes and we tut at the hopelessness of the world, don't we? And those of us who are over 40, we like to harp back to the good old days. We're like, oh, do you remember the good old days when life was simpler? And you know, you would think it would be better in the Bible, wouldn't you? You sort of think there wouldn't be any of these problems that we're facing today in the Bible. And our heroes that we teach our vineyard kids about, they're all perfect role models, aren't they? But then you start to look at the Bible and you realize that there's some really shady characters in there. Noah. Noah gets drunk and curses his son and grandkids. Abraham, he sleeps with his wife's maid and then shuns his son. Eli, he has no discipline and doesn't keep his own sons in line. Saul, he threatens to kill his own son, Jonathan, just to save faith, his own face, his pride. And David, David, who we love to talk about, and I love the Psalms that he's written. David sees a woman he desires in a bath, gets her pregnant, murders her husband to cover the pregnancy, and then marries her to try and make it look all right. It's not really what you expect to find in the Bible, is it? Surely the Bible heroes should have it all sorted, well, apparently not. I don't know about you, but I find that strangely reassuring. Because I'm not the only one then that's messed up. That I'm not the only one that doesn't have all my ducks in a row when I read these scriptures and find out that neither do they. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, in this hopeless world, God has come to us to be with us. And one of his titles is Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. So often we write ourselves off because of our past. Maybe because of our parents, because of our upbringing, because of our social backgrounds, whatever. Maybe you're still writing yourself off this morning because of mistakes you made as a teenager. You're maybe thinking, because I come from a broken family, you fear that the same will happen to your family. Maybe you're a single mom and you're trying your best to raise your kids, but listening to the news, you feel like, oh, I, there's no hope. Or maybe there's been abuse or dysfunction in your past and in your family. And, and as you reach adulthood, you're afraid that you're going to carry that in with you. I want to say something. The wonder of the gospel, the story of Jesus, is that there are no inevitabilities. And I want you to hear that this morning. No one is doomed. 
No one is doomed. Our children are not doomed because we are not perfect parents. Parents, hear that this morning. This is for me. My children are not doomed, thankfully, because I am not a perfect parent. Because the Father, the everlasting Father, has broken into this world, and because He has come and He has broken into this world, then there is no inevitabilities. He changes everything. He came because the whole world was fatherless, because none of us knew him. That's why Jesus came. That's why God came to the world, so that the everlasting Father, he steps into our broken world, and he makes all things new. Jesus was born into brokenness. Jesus was born into poverty and stress. He lost his father, Joseph, historians reckon, while he was young. And had to take on the job of running the house. And then he had to leave the house, leave the home, looking after the family to go and do God's work, which his family didn't understand. He experienced all the usual sibling rivalry. I don't get it. I'm an only child, so it's great. It's one, one, one stress of life I don't have to deal with, the whole sibling rivalry thing. But Jesus experienced that. But here's the thing. Jesus experienced all that we experience. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says this. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In the very birth of Jesus, in the moment that he arrived in this earth, we see the humanity of Jesus. There was a real possibility of failure. Do you ever think about that? That yes, he was God, but he was fully human. He left his godliness behind and he became fully human. There was a real possibility of failure. At any point, God, Jesus could have given up, failed or forfeited everything. But he came to change the inevitability for each one of us. Because he didn't fail. He didn't give up. He didn't forfeit his responsibility. Because now it is not just about our nobility. It's not about how, what family we've been born into. It's not about our race. It's not about our gender. But it's always all about what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews 12, 1-3 said this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The message of the Christmas story is that God has broken into this uncertain world to change the hearts of anyone who would like to follow him. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your circumstances. There is hope now because Jesus has come. There is hope because Jesus has come. Your past does not have a grip on you anymore because Jesus has come. Your failure does not have to be the defining thing in your life because Jesus has come. 
It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what others have done on you because Jesus has come. He has changed the inevitability of what should be normal circumstances, what should be the next chapter in your story has been rewritten because Jesus has come. And all you need to do is accept him. Isn't that amazing? What a gift. You see, our world is broken. And there are many problems. And we are all fatherless until we give our lives over to the father of all. But it is not lost. None of it is lost because of Jesus and because of his birth. In 10 days, Christmas will be over. Imagine that. In 10 days' time, it'll be Boxing Day. We'll be getting ready for round two. We'll be wearing our stretchy pants. Or I mean, it's just me, my stretchy. Don't mean my stretchy pants, sorry. I mean, it was got all American there. I mean, like my jogging bottoms. Wearing my stretchy jogging bottoms and all. That's what I mean, sorry. Erase that, Ashley, from the tape. Thank you. At least, you, at least I know you're all still awake. Um, but we'll be settling down for round two and, and thinking about... Maybe, well, usually not Boxing Day, I don't start thinking about it. Maybe the day after, I start thinking that, um, oh, I start thinking about the money I've spent. And then I look around the house and think, where is all this stuff going to go? There's no space for all this stuff and all that sort of things. And we sometimes sit down and we say, was it all worth it? (laughs) Was it really worth it? All the rushing around and the stress? and the spending the money and all the food that we've eaten and all the food that we still have to eat. Is it really worth it? You see, when God looked down in the first Christmas morning, after he gave us the greatest gift of all time, there was no regret. There was no regret. God has not for one moment, not for one moment has he regretted sending Jesus for us. And not for one moment in the whole millennia of, of eternity that to come will he ever regret giving the greatest gift of all. 30 years later, when Jesus is baptized, there is still no regret in the Father. And he says, this is my beloved son, whom I'm very pleased with. And then finally at Calvary, when the same angels that had announced the birth were shocked at the outcome, waiting for God the Father to somehow come and intervene and rescue Jesus in that moment, Mary, she's standing by the cross wondering what had all gone wrong. What has happened from those promises and those people that I've met way back when Jesus was born? What has happened? But still with God the Father, there is no regret. There is no regret because his love for us outweighs it all. This morning, above all else, above all else, I want you to leave this place this morning knowing how deeply, deeply loved you are by the Father. The everlasting Father loves you completely, utterly, regardless of anything you've ever done regardless of anything you ever will do in the future, his love for you is complete. How would our days look different if we really grasped that? Fear would have to go, wouldn't it? Fear would have to leave our lives if we really grasped that perfect love that we sang about this morning. The 
perfect love, that to realize that you're a child of God and the, the fear would go. If we could accept and know the perfect love of the Father, fear would go. Fear cannot stay where perfect love is. Freedom. Could you imagine the freedom in our lives from insecurities? Insecurity would have to flee, would have to leave. If we would fully accept this perfect love of God that was shed abroad through Jesus Christ. This birth of this vulnerable, tiny little baby who was born over 2,000 years ago was the indicator. Was, was he, he is the love and the life of God. That he would come and he would give his life for us. God's love poured out. And in God, there is no regret, not for a moment of that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11 says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There was never a moment of regret. In fact, it was always the plan. So that all of us, all of us, for God so loved the whole world that he gave. God loved the whole world that he gave. There is no one outside this gospel. There is no one outside his love. There is no one who's gone too far. There is no one who's gone beyond it. There is no one even in their rational scientific thinking who, who don't have space in their minds for God. Even they are not beyond this love of God. We are all in the story. We're all in the story. And the invitation is this tiny baby Jesus. He is the invitation into this wonderful story of God. This Christmas, as you watch the news, or maybe you don't, maybe it'd be good to turn it off and not watch it. But this Christmas, as we look around the world and see all the different things that are happening, remember that he came for all the world. All the world. For the refugees in northern France, his love is the same for them as it is for us. For the ongoing conflict in, uh, in the Middle East, for the people of Syria that are still in, in war-torn, living under horrendous conditions, God's love is still there for them. It is completely for them as it is for us. For those of us in the West who have so much that it's overwhelming, God's love is the same for us. That's why he came. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. No matter what your background or your circumstance, Jesus came to give us hope. And no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what your past looks like, he has come to rescue you. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this, 
For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. God himself has came to a deeply broken, fatherless world which doesn't know God to introduce himself and to enable a way of life that offers hope and freedom to all who put their trust in him. We are not defined by what we have, where we live, but rather who and what we are living for. Who are you living for this morning? Who are you living for? Are you living for this God of perfect love who came for you? Is he the reason you get up in the morning? When you're making decisions about your life, when you're looking ahead to, the, to 2019, when you're looking ahead for the next five, 10 years, young people who are just right at the start of whether you're maybe still at school, you're filling out UCAS forms, you're planning your future, you're thinking about apprenticeships, whatever that looks like, would you do it with God in mind, young people? I'm sounding like a preacher. But do, would you remember who you belong to? Would you remember who's holding the pen of your life and actually writing the chapters in? Would you trust him to be the author of your life? Jesus came for everyone. There is no one on the outside. His love, the Father's love for us, knows no end. And this Christmas, my prayer for you is that you would walk and abide in his love. Let's stand.